Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for November has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they really are fantabulous. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. I'm Donna Sorensen. And I'm Ian Broom. And this week we're going to start with a finish. Hey, that's a good start, isn't it, Ian? Well, um, I know it's fantastic, but you need to explain. I will. I'm going to explain immediately how we're going to start with a finish. Um, A few weeks ago, I completely um, destroyed um, one of our listeners' names when I attempted to pronounce it. Um, We had a listener's question from a listener in Finland, a Finnish listener. See? It's, it's, it really is brilliant. Thank you. Um, and um, and what we thought was really brilliant was that um, this listener in question, and I'm about to say his name and I'm going to say it properly this time, um, wrote to us and said that uh, he thoroughly enjoyed the attempts to pronounce his name, but he did a little recording for us so that we could actually pronounce his name properly. And well, before... Before, before, you, before we play that to everyone... Um, yeah. Just remind us what you were calling this really kind, nice person who got into it. This with. lovely listener. I was calling our lovely listener from Finland, Jonas Poopoo. Yes. And I thought that was a pretty good stab. Um, it, just, it just happened to be also a fantastic name. This listener's name is actually Jonas Poopa. Is Poopa? That's not right. It is. And we will now play the clip. Jonas Poop. <laughs> now, are you telling me that I have messed it up again? Well, I'm just saying that the way he said it, which was very slow and deliberate and kind of slightly sexy, Jonas, if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> Jonas Poop. The way that you said, you said Poopa, which is, I think it's different. Yeah, Jonas doesn't speak slowly like that to everybody. He was just enunciating to help us because we're so absolutely it's the, it's incompetent where, it's where it's your it's where your and this is you know let's relate this back to writing this is about delivery isn't it of course and about um about uh where we emphasize our words you say you could <laughs> you said um poopa <laughs> he says Jonas poop ian let me oh, hang on hang on i refuse <laughs> i refuse to have you say that i've not done this properly because i am not finished so I'm going to say Jonas's name, obviously with a slight English accent. That's all that's happened no, here. But it, it's not. You're saying poopa, and he says Jonas poop. I didn't say poopa. I said poopa. But he says it like this: Jonas poop. So instead of poopa, he says poopa. Honestly, Ian. <laughs> it's like I'm just trying to think of a, of a of a good example of this. It's like if we're speaking English um and you want to say um Gérard Depardieu. I do you're not going to have that. it you do everybody wants to say that. Oh, not... Gérard Depardieu. <laughs> exactly. What you are asking me to do is to talk in this sentence just to say Gérard Depardieu and I'm not going <laughs> to do that because I'm not French. And that's how French people speak. <laughs> anyway, I think that we we've, we've Basically, we've made up for that terrible error. Um, well, I thought we had. You've kind of carried it on. 
No, it's, I, I, I mean, I apologise to you, but on behalf of the show, I apologise to Jonas, of course. Um, we made a right mess of his name. Who, who are you apologising to, Ian? Um, I, pol- did I, I think I apologised to you then, didn't I? No, I'm saying that who else are you apologising to? Uh, Jonas. Jonas what? Jonas Pupa. Okay, thank you. Just checking. Cool. Um, what, what are we going to start with this week? Apart from, no, we've already started with the finish. What else are we going to carry on with? We're going to start with our penultimate item. Oh. That makes no sense. I was trying to follow on from your starting with the finish, but it didn't work. <laughs> oh, got you. Um, well. Do you want to uh, do a little ca- catchy-uppy on what you've been doing since yeah, we heard you last? I have... I have an announcement. This is not since not since um, I uh, you heard from us last, because this has been in tense negotiations for several weeks. That's not true either, but it happened two or three weeks ago. Um, as of tomorrow, so we're a bit delayed this week. I apologise for that, listeners. We should say that actually, shouldn't we? That I've had two ill children, so two out of two children, both were ill, <laughs> and uh, and you've been ill as well. That's not why we're delayed. We're delayed because it was a bumper birthday, right for your life, b- double birthday week. Well, that also happens to be true, but I mean, as for, uh, as reasons go for delaying a podcast, I think saying that we were ill is probably sort of better than saying that we were like having birthdays. Do you know what? I think our listeners will be bored of hearing about us, our illnesses and our children's illnesses. What really happened was that on my birthday, when we were supposed to be recording, I got taken out to the cinema. And the next night when we were going to record, you got taken out somewhere exciting. By a gangster. <laughs> really no that's not true no but that, that that's really why we didn't record i think that's that's much more interesting for our listeners than you know i had a jippy tummy or whatever which i didn't but anyway <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, well all of the everything that we've just said is true um it's a bumper birthday weekend yours was on thursday mine is mine was on friday now um would i don't want to dwell on the birthday thing because i want to move on to talking about writing but um there was it's been uh, it's kind of been a bittersweet kind of birthday for me um did you have a good birthday i had a great one i um i i had a fantastic birthday my my wife and my my boys and my immediate family fantastic they were, you know we had such a uh, uh, wonderful time i felt very special lots of nice gifts cards all sorts speaking of cards though yeah guess how many cards i got how many cards did you get? I just honestly, have a, I'm a 34 year old man who's who's you know. Well, I'll leave it at that. I'm a 34 year old man. Guess how many cards I got? Okay, I'm imagining you got one from your wife. Yeah. One from each of your boys. Yeah. And possibly one from your parents. I imagine your brother forgot. I'm going to say five because my parents probably sent you one. Well, no, my my brother didn't didn't forget, but that's you know because he's um, married to someone who has got some idea of what's going on. <laughs> How many did you get then? I got nine birthday cards. <gasps> That's loads. Oh, hang on a minute. Are you are you are you being sarcastic here, or are you? No, I'm not. That makes me feel really terrible. <laughs> I can't believe that. Do you know how many birthday cards I got? Well, okay. I'll tell you how many cards I expected, and how many cards I would expect you to get as a fairly gregarious, mostly pleasant to be with, thirty-five year old woman. Thank you. Do you mind me saying about your age? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Um, um, I would have expected twenty to thirty cards. Get lost. Well, That's ridiculous. Come on, maybe when we were at primary school, we were getting twenty to thirty cards because every kid in the class was forced to write you one. But that, 
he seriously ever got 20 to 30 birthday cards? Regularly, every year. On my 30th birthday, there was a room full of 40 or 50 people who'd driven all from all over the country just to be there, just uh-huh. for me. That is why you only get cards if you organise a party. Yeah, but that's not happened every year. That, but uh, in other years, I have got a lot more cards than nine cards. Honestly, you should see my my lineup of cards. It's but you could bear in mind out of those nine cards, one was from my wife, and I've got twins, and they both gave me. A, <laughs> you know that doesn't. I love them, but it doesn't count. Okay. I couldn't believe it. I'm, I was. I, I had to sort of tread a fine line between being appreciative with um, my wife for everything that she's done, which has been wonderful, and just repeatedly saying, I can't believe I've only got nine cards. (laughs) I think it's just a symptom of the fact that we now have children and they take everybody's focus and attention because, you know, we're not going to get cards from aunties and uncles and stuff. They're sending them to our kids now. Well, I just feel like the physical embodiment of uh, modern life. 4,000 followers on Twitter, nine birthday cards. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, that's that is it. Well, there you go. There's another reason. I got lots of messages on Facebook. How many messages did you get on Facebook? I don't know. Yeah, the exactly. Twenty or thirty. Exactly. People do that now. They don't bother with the actual physical thing. That's all. It's just a sign of the times. Well, let me tell you something else. By eleven o'clock on my birthday, when everyone who wakes up in the morning and checks Facebook for first thing they do, we'll we'll do it. I don't do it, but people do do it. I, mm-hmm. che- I check it third or fourth. Um, reminder: Look, it's. Steve's birthday, or in, in this case, Ian's birthday, mm. by 11, 11 a.m., no Facebook messages. You know what I did? What? Took a picture of myself looking like I was enjoying my birthday and posted <laughs> it on Facebook. And then I, <laughs> then I started getting likes. Yeah. Well, that's fine, isn't it? I mean, you take me, for example. I didn't send you a card and I didn't write on Facebook because I actually physically called you to speak to you and ask you how your day was going. And you know what? I'm glad I did because you you were not complaining like this back then. You were well, you were you were having a nice day. Oh, well, I was still optimistic. I was halfway through. I thought that you know maybe there's plenty of time for the you know maybe the postman's late. Dear me. Anyway, should I tell you what I did on my birthday? Because it actually relates a little bit to writing. Go on then. Um, I got taken out for a surprise dinner and then surprise trip to see Interstellar, and. And it was it's one of those funny situations where my other half had no idea how long Interstellar was and we arrived at 10 o'clock and I was thinking, this is a work night, but <laughs> go with it anyway. I'm not going to get to bed until 2 o'clock in the morning. So, so he organised like a special, oh, let's go to the cinema and then hadn't thought through the fact that you'd actually got to go to work and you started at 10. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, and it was great. We really enjoyed it. I mean, I yeah, I enjoyed the film. That's a whole other thing that we could talk about, how much, uh, how good it is and all that kind of stuff. But um, I really hated the fact that Michael Caine quoted Dylan Thomas in the film. Have you seen Interstellar yet? No, I've not seen any films from uh, 2012 to now. <laughs> that would be so ridiculous. Like, seriously, the, the, what is wrong with you? Are no, you I, still upset about your birthday? I'm upset about, I will always, I will forever be upset about the number of cards I got on my, the only way that it could get, any worse um, is if I got less next year. I suppose it could get better, I suppose, if I got more next year, but, you know, it's a fine line. Well, I'm blooming well going to send you one. Anyway, uh, the thing about Dylan Thomas is, is that I think there have been some really great examples of poetry used in films and, like, TV over the over the years. If I was to just put you on the spot, can you think of any yourself? Um, no. No. Okay, interesting. I, I mean, maybe because I am, you know, I would call myself a poet, I can think of a few good ones that I've enjoyed. You like Breaking Bad, don't you? Yes. 
Do you not remember Ozymandias? Um, Black Sabbath. <laughs> I think that was that was Percy Shelley's poem, which was in Breaking Bad, and that was I think they did that really well. Um, going all the way back to Four Weddings and a Funeral with W. H. Auden. Remember, stop all the clocks and all that stuff. Yeah, I've. It's been a while since I've since I watched that. Yeah, but you still remember it, don't you? Do you know I remember Hugh Grant's follow-up film better than I remember. Do you know he he, he was in? What was this his follow-up film was the one where Robin Williams was in it. In fact, um, in Nine Weeks, it was awful. Oh, I've never seen it. Um, oh, okay. Well, anyway, the, the, just quickly then, briefly to finish off this whole Interstellar thing. Um, in Interstellar, there's a bit where Michael Caine is doing a voiceover of Dylan Thomas's um, Do Not Go Gently Into That Good Night. Do you know that poem? Yes. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Um, and in this case, I really hated it so much that it almost put me off the whole film. It just felt so forced and so, um, like, maybe I'm being very cynical, but, like, it was such an obvious attempt to get a poem in there, you know, that would make people feel emotional yeah how about um, uh, Widnail and I yeah I still haven't seen it there's lots of, lots of poetry in that oh I'm, it's on my list I really will see it um, Invictus was the other example I came to th- uh, I thought about I, did, I, was, I mean maybe it's because Invictus is a great poem I think personally that I liked it I, I do like Dylan Thomas anyway there you go that's all I've got to say on the subject of Interstellar and my birthday I probably got the same amount of cards as you did but um but anyway, that's what we've been doing, isn't it, this week? But you didn't even say your big news. I started, but we massively um, derailed. Um, yes, as of tomorrow, so we record this on. We're recording on Sunday. This will go out on Sunday evening here in the UK, and um, tomorrow morning, which most people are going to call Monday, um, I start my first day as a full-time employee, as opposed to a freelance writer. Interesting. And how long have you been a freelance writer? <laughs> Since April. April, so five months. Oh, I mean, May, <laughs> five June, months. July, September. Eight, 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 nine months. Will, seven uh, will, months. Seven months. No, I saw the. It can't. It must be more than seven months. Yeah, it's just it's three, There are three missing. Three off the front up to March. December's missing. So that's four. Twelve minus four. Eight months. Yes. Right. Um, it's uh, yeah. Well, there are. Uh, it's uh, it feels a bit strange, but. Um, uh, I, I'm going to be a full-time employee for one of my clients, my main client, in fact. So, um, Cornerstones Education, who I have mentioned a couple of times before, I'm going to be the curriculum editor. I'm going to be going in and um, being kind of uh, in charge of words in every way. Um, and they're a very good company. I'm sure I will talk about them in in various ways and things I learn, things I do over the coming weeks on the podcast. But um, I, I start that uh, tomorrow and it was, it's, it feels a bit strange because, um, you know, being a freelance writer has been really quite good. So it, it might seem a bit strange that I would go back to being, full, uh, you know, employed so soon. Um, and I do, I did, you know, when I was thinking about what to do, I did have um, lots of reservations because of that because I just thought, well, you know, I've only just, I wanted to be... Uh, own my own business for so long so going back in it makes you know does it is that a failure and all those kinds of things but if i look at things objectively um um the the, the truth is i've 
I've really enjoyed it. I've earned more money than I ever have done before, and I've been, you know, happy. It's been a really good family life balance. I've been able to pick up the the boys on Thursdays and Fridays and kind of do a bit of that kind of thing still, which I was doing before anyway. But um, it's been it's been sort of successful. So I have to try and persuade myself that that that, that you know that's the case, um, and it's true. And the the reality is that it's a really good job, and um, and it's also a reality that I I, I have two children and a mortgage, um, two children who are in childcare at the same time. What with them being twins, and it costs a lot of money. Um, so um, it just made sense. It was you know kind of the offer was too good to refuse, and you know the job's really interesting and all those kinds of things. And it's still, it's still very much, you know, I'm going to be absolutely, completely rooted in my editorial and writing background, which is good. You know, it's like a, it's a step forward in 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 every way, really. Mm. Um, well, all I can say is you must have made them so happy with the <laughs> freelancing. Well, I hope. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I suppose they must have been uh, happy. I mean, the, the other, I've I've written down three things that I, my kind of lessons learned, learnt. Um, First of all, I, I did end up doing quite a lot of work in the evenings. So I, I would work uh, kind of normal hours. Um, but then on I, I was working for Cornerstones anyway, three days a week, four days a week for a lot of the time, um, which meant that I was trying to build up the business around that, which basically left one day and the weekend, which doesn't really count when you have two young children. You can't, you know, you're with them a lot of the time. So I have been doing a lot of work in the evenings, and I know that that's quite common for freelance writers and anyone who owns a business, really. You do end up doing a lot more work than the average nine-to-five. Um, and I did, and that's that happened without doubt. And apart from this dear old podcast... Um, which has been easier to set time aside for because we just agree what time we're going to record. We do some minimal research and then we chat for an hour and put it onto the internet. That's kind of an arranged thing that I can ring fence because I know exactly what it entails. But all of the other types of projects, uh, like writing a novel um, and uh, you know, the the podcast, the other podcast that I've talked about, the fictional one, various other things i've just not been able to do them really because i've been you know my the work had to come first freelance work had to come first so i'm hoping that going back to a more nine to five type job um will free up those evenings for me a bit more so i can concentrate on writing the second novel and pursuing other things uh, which are kind of my own creative things i guess mm. so that's one thing um and the other thing is a recommendation for people who are planning to and everyone all kind of advice uh, for people sent their own business comes down to this it's really helpful to have a nice wadge of cash as a backup um, uh, when you make that decision to go freelance uh, as a writer I didn't have that wadge of cash still didn't have that wadge of cash um, but what I did have, the reason I did choose to go freelance was that I had this contract that lasted a minimum of six months it went, you know, as things have turned out it went on for eight months and now I'm going to be an employee but I, I had that in place so I knew that I could earn enough money over the over those first six months to cover everything that I was having to pay for anyway um, but I, I knew in the back of my head I didn't have the wedge of cash so if anything happened or if I wasn't able to build the business up around it then um, it might become problematic and if you remember the tonsillitis from a month ago um, I was unable to work. I just couldn't go to work, even though I tried. I did go in a couple of days, and I really shouldn't have been there. Um, and, you know, freelance rates 
as most people know, are, are pretty good, much better than you do get when you're working uh, as an employee in general. And I was, you know, every day I was off, you know, in the end it cost me well over a thousand pounds. And without the wedge of cash, that was that money was every day I was off. That was money that was it was. I just felt like it was a a cylinder of liquid gradually going down every day. I didn't go into work um, with no backup, and, um, and that was slightly terrifying. Um, and so on that subject, the other thing is because um, I had uh, cornerstones were my main clients, which meant that I was working for them uh, a lot of the time, which was great. I did lots of other work too, but it was always building it around the work I was doing at Cornerstone. So I basically had one or two days a week plus a weekend to try and build a business around it, and it just it just wasn't enough. Um, so um, none of that really is a complaint. It's all kind of, like I said, it was really, really successful and a really happy period of my life, and I'm sure it will be uh, perfectly... It will continue in that way um, uh, in the future. I'm, I'm looking forward to it and excited. So you've just used the words, this is the happiest, one of the happiest periods of your life and that you're excited. Would you say then that in the last few weeks you've been really happy and excited? <laughs> well, are you suggesting that I've not sounded as such? Yes. Blimey, Moses, yes. Um, I, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very happy. I, I had my birth. I was, I mean, for the last three or four weeks, of course, birthday on the horizon. I kept thinking this is going to be fun, fantastic. <laughs> got my, cards, bir- my, bir- my birthday yeah. coming. I'm going to get all these cards from my friends. It's going to make me feel great. I've not been able to spend as much time with them because I've been, you know, I've been sort of so deep in parenthood. It's going to be great to have all these cards that come along. So I've been very, very excited for the last three or four weeks, and uh, and uh, it's yeah, great. It's, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. We'll um, <laughs> look forward to seeing how it goes. <laughs> <sighs> it's going to be great. No, in all seriousness, it's uh, I'm I am genuinely very happy, very excited. It's all worked out incredibly well. Bear in mind where I was two and a bit years ago. I won't go through the story again, but being made redundant from my long-term job of five or six six and a half years, and being made redundant five days after have after my wife gave birth to twins, thinking, "What on earth am I going to do?" To be in a position now where I'm earning considerably more, doing a really good doing work that is really interesting and and for a great cause. I know I know it's a business. Cornerstones is a business, but it's you know it's writing materials for children, teaching materials that actually get used in schools all around the country. It's like a really rewarding, uh, it's really re- rewarding work. So you know I'm not complaining at all. It's uh, it's uh, it's been pretty amazing to be here now after being in that position just over two years ago. Absolutely. And I think it was the Dalai Lama, just to go from the sublime to the ridiculous, uh, said, and this, this, I remember this from when I was very unhappy with what I was doing, uh, said that, you know, doing something with your life which is useful and helps people is really, really important. And by that, you don't have to be a doctor or a teacher but just even to work for something that you feel is good and right and doing something is is enough. It, it is. And, and it's, um, you know, it's, I worked for the, the design agency for six and a half, half years, I've just said. Really good company. Despite what happened, if I'm objective, it wasn't very pleasant what happened to me. But the company, the work we did was great. A really good design company, really fantastic in lots of ways but ultimately there were you know many many days 
many weeks where I was, you know, writing strap lines for supermarkets and that kind of thing. And mm. you do, after a while, think,、um, you know, is this the meaning of life? Is this what is this really making a difference to people?、Um, and、um, and I do think that's important after a while. Yeah, it would be tough to be a criminal defence lawyer, I should imagine. Indeed. Although Matthew McConaughey did a very good job in Lincoln Lawyer. Just to have two Matthew McConaughey references in this podcast. No, I'm not obsessed with him. He is amazing, though. <laughs>、um, great. Did you now? Did, did you just mention crime? Oh, can't come on to that already, can you? Go on then. Well, I was going to say something else. I was going to use another way to move on. I was going to say, am I right in thinking you caught someone a two spacer red-handed? I did catch a two spacer red-handed. <laughs> Hands, Who, what, and why? Their hands were scarlet. Well, part of my responsibility here at the old、uh, new job is basically to check everyone's spells and grammars,、um, and、uh, and I spotted someone was double spacing at the end of sentences, as discussed last week. And so I said, you know, very politely, much more politely than I did、uh, on the on the show last about week, my mom about your mother. Hi, mum. I I I、uh, you know I just sort of, I sort of pointed it out so you don't actually need to do that. Um, and、uh, and the reaction was kind of do what you know the, like like we discussed last week the notion、yeah. what what are you talking about I don't need to double space everyone double spaces I'm not double spacing that's what they probably thought like they probably didn't even realise what generation were they、uh, X okay、um, I don't know is it, it was、uh, uh, a generation above me yeah <laughs> I don't know how to say that, that without being rude I mean just a bit older than me. I, that's that's all I was wondering.、Yeah. I just I don't think that people younger than us would do it. No, but I mean I don't. She actually just said it's always it's the way it's always been. But you know uh, it's uh, it's that's how it is with people. But I, I said you know you think of all the hours of your life you've wasted doing those double spaces. <laughs> it takes up time. You know, put them all together. How、more. did she take it?、Uh, she t- it took it very well. Sort of just said, oh well, all right. <laughs> you know, it was slightly kind of. Blown away by the concept. Yeah, she's probably been thinking about it all weekend. Possibly, I'll find out tomorrow. Anyway, what were you going to tell us about crime? Well, I、uh, this is kind of the subject that I wanted to talk about, and this is the uh, podcast uh, which everyone is listening to at the moment. It's called Serial,、um, and、uh, I, you may have heard of this, everyone listening. If you listen to podcasts, which if you listen to this, you do. Um, then there's every chance you will have heard of a podcast called This American Life, which is has been for years kind of the biggest podcast in the world. And This American Life is a radio show in the US.、Um, and the the chief of This American Life is a guy called Ira Glass. I apologise if I if you know all this, but basically it's kind of it's it's journalism really. It's like a it's a proper radio show with very high production values. Um, great reputation, obviously, because it's been going for years. So access to some fantastic stories, and it's kind of it's kind of a. I don't really know how to describe it. I was going to say investigative investigative journalism, but it isn't always. It's kind of storytelling, I suppose. But like I say, it's really well done. It's kind of、uh, obviously got the backing of a, of a radio station,、um, and so it's uh, it's uh, well. Let's just say this American Life. What it's the podcast version.、Um, It really isn't the same as me and you doing this. You know, there is a distinct difference in production values, time available. You know, that's a、so. that's a radio show. We we do what I would call a kind of very sort of、uh, 
Yeah, it's a podcast, isn't it? It's the sort of podcast that everyone associates with the word podcast. But, you know, This American Life is amazing. Uh, if you don't know it, then go and look for it and check it out. It's probably at number one in the charts. Unless, unless... No, it's not, though. Is it not? Well, I thought that what you were about to do, Serial, was. Okay, I don't know. I haven't checked. But so Serial is is the uh, uh, a new podcast. It's actually been going for a couple of months now. But there's been a lot of fuss over Serial. Um, and it's made by the same people who make this american life um and i hadn't listened to it i have now listened to the first three episodes maybe three and a half i'm not sure um and uh, and you know before i carry on because I, I it may sound like i'm being negative uh, in a minute but but i'm not really not about the show because the show itself no, remember he's happy everyone <laughs> <laughs> the show itself is fantastic it's absolutely yeah. brilliant um and you should go out i don't want to kind of talk about it too much because i think it's the sort of thing you need to find and absorb and enjoy yourself but it's basically a true story told over a series of podcast episodes so it's digital only so it's not it's not broadcast on the radio like this american life is um and it's it's um yeah it's a true story of a a murder that took place uh, in the late 90s i think and um and it's kind of speaking to all the key people who were involved including the including the person who was convicted um and 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 uh, and it's great. It's uh, they're still in jail. The person's convicted is still in jail, and it's just br- brilliant journalism, but told in a it's storytelling. It's kind of each episode focuses on a certain part of the investigation, and you know the whole world is gripped. It's there are like lots and lots and lots of people are listening to this. It's getting news uh, articles written about it in like the mainstream papers, uh, and and kind of big. Um, uh, you know, but places that wouldn't never normally talk about a podcast. So, as a kind of writer, as a you know, someone who tells stories, it's a really interesting format to listen to. Especially as I've been going on for weeks, how I've got this plan for this fictional podcast. I was really interested in how it's done. As it turns out, it's not that fictional, but it's true a true story. But they're really, you know, it's told in a in a way that is just pure storytelling. It's, it is, you know, things are held back on purpose and. It's you know it's told like fiction, which I think is why so many people are gripped to the to the story. Yeah, I mean, if you're like me and you just clicked to listen, and you didn't know what it was at first. I wasn't sure whether it was um, a fiction or non-fiction because like you you can't you can't possibly tell that at the start. I don't think, um, and especially not when there's so much fiction like on TV, which is fake documentary do you know what I mean yeah 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 so that whole it's always very fuzzy but as soon as I realized that this was actually um non uh, non-fiction that it was a true story that they were actually seriously trying to find out if this guy's innocent I was like my goodness why is this is this is just like it's it's so simple as an idea and everybody is going to be completely hooked on this like already you just you have a reason to listen because you just want you want to know what's going to happen because this is actually this is a real person who has lost what well, I mean I don't even know how many years 15 years of their life already potentially sitting in jail unnecessarily potentially but we don't know yeah and and it's like I say it's got people hooked and one of the things that I found interesting is is the way that people have reacted to it the way the kind of mainstream media have reacted to it and there's been lots of chatter about this on the internet but I'm not sure I don't know if people are reading that or not but basically it's been referred to as a like a breakthrough like a breakthrough in in uh, podcasting for the format for the podcast format mm. and um i w- wasn't convinced about that so i i sort of 
took to Twitter and um, you know gave my thoughts, which are basically it's um, it's fantastic. I love cereal, but I don't really think you can call something that's made by the people who are behind the biggest podcast on the internet. Um, uh, if they make something else, I don't think you can really call that a breakthrough. It kind of feels like cheating almost. It feels like if J.K. like if J.K. Rowling um, started writing, well, she did. I don't think we can call J.K. Rowling's crime fiction, as discussed, um, a breakthrough in crime fiction. It's just you know, it's not. It's a that's a terrible analogy. But do you know what I mean? It's very. It's, it, it needs to be. It's, it feels like kind of cheating, mainly because they've got all the you know they've got a lot of backing. They have. Um, the radio station behind them. They've got this amazing team of journalists, widely experienced. They've got this huge audience of This American Life who can say, "Here's our spin-off podcast." You know that doesn't those those things to me don't is not what I call a breakthrough. A breakthrough is something that comes from left field and is just almost uh, rises to attention through uh, you know the community driven and word of mouth and all that kind of thing. Something like Welcome to Night Vale, which is also excellent. That's how that kind of word sort of grew through Tumblr. So I just sort of question. It's kind of in one some ways it's frustrating that this this podcast, which is by a team of really famous podcasters um, or you know broadcasters, um, uh, is kind of hailed as a breakthrough for podcasting and yet everyone like me and you who've been doing it for years kind of thinks well hang on a minute <laughs> we've been doing this stuff for years just because you know but by the same token um it also it's great that it's raising attention to podcasting because i think podcasts are a fantastic format um and it is really genuinely remarkable that so many people are downloading this podcast no matter where it comes from and who does it um, it is a significant thing, and maybe it is. A, maybe more podcasts uh, are going to sort of break through into a more mainstream audience. Who knows? Well, I think that's that's for me. It doesn't matter what you've done before. Breakthrough means that you are breaking through barriers into a new, new arena and a new audience, and that is why this is called a breakthrough. Because so many people who have never listened to podcasts before will listen to this. Well, that's yeah, then that's kind of the, the the gist of the conversation I was having with a couple of people on Twitter, Brian uh, at Brian Visaggio, uh, which is exactly how you pronounce that, um, said, uh, "Here's the critical difference: This American Life isn't a podcast; it's a radio show with a podcast, meaning serial." Mm. And um, so maybe that is a good way of looking at it. The, uh, and, and maybe, like you say, maybe my definition of what a breakthrough is is a bit uh, wrong. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to keep me hooked for a little while, I think. Are you going to listen to the rest of it? I'm going to keep going. There are ten episodes out at the moment, I think, maybe nine. And um, and the first three have been great. It's fantastic for driving to work, which I now do, uh, listening to it in the car. It's just really, um, I mean, the story itself is a true story, so kind of the, the story is not... Um, uh, you know, fiction in terms of you know, as a writer, I'm not saying go and listen to it necessarily for the story, but the way the story is told is very, very good uh, for uh, any writer to go and listen to and kind of pick up on the pacing and the way that information is held back and the way that as a listener you kind of think, well, I want to know that. It seems like you seem like, well, surely I should know that at this point, um, especially mm. if it's a true story, because you know, if you re- if you listen to the news, you you know, the first line is, you know. Mouse runs up tree, gets chased by a cat who dies. You know, you get all of the information straight away, and then it goes on to summarise. Whereas this is a true story, but it's drip-fed to you in kind of uh, thematic lumps. 
Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, so very cool. It's so very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. It's good. Mm. May I um, take us to a little poetry aside now? Yeah. Thank you, because I would like to mention, just while we have time during this show, because it is current, um, that um, a big poet died this week. We also lost P.D. James, didn't we? Um, very, very famous writer. That also happened this week. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've never read any P.D. James, have you? I haven't, no. No. Um, but I wanted to mention, actually, that um, an ex-poet laureate, an American poet laureate called Mark Strand died this week. Um, and I saw a lot about it in the news in the last few days. And I thought, oh, that rings a bell. And I hadn't read any of his poetry before. And I wondered why it, it rang a bell. And the reason is because um, he wrote a book which I would like to highly recommend to everybody, to anybody who's interested in, in poetry or writing poetry, if anybody's starting out in poetry and wants to get a really good grounding in um, if like if you never studied poetry, for example, but you feel that you have poems that you and stories that you want to tell through poetry, this book is fantastic for helping you to find shapes and forms f- for how you will write your poetry. And it's called The Making of a Poem, and it's by Mark Strand and Ivan Boland. And she is a very famous Irish poet who lives in America and teaches now. Oh, that's terrible. I haven't checked where she teaches. Um, but anyway. I think I got this book when I was living in Ireland and everybody knew Yvonne Boland and talked about her. So I probably focused on her a bit more and I never, never really find, found out much about, about Mark Strand. But this book has been really, really influential to me. Um, and I just went back to it today um, when I found out that Mark Strand had passed away. He was 80. Um, he was a poet laureate. He won the Pulitzer Prize for one of his collections as well. And um, he actually went through the Iowa Writers' Workshop um, back in the day so very interesting character and I've now read a bit of his poetry and there's some of it that really uh, resonates with me um, but he wrote the introduction to this book called um, The Making of a Poem which takes you through all sorts of forms like villanelles and pantoums and blank verse and all this kind of stuff so you really feel at the end of it like you know a great deal about poetry um, and he started the book with a poem which has really influenced him in his life. And that poem, I really feel, has come to influence me as well. Um, and yeah, now yeah. having read, it, read his poetry, I can see how it's influenced him. Do you have it in front of you? Could we have a recital? Yes, because a long time ago, somebody wrote to us to say that they'd enjoyed hearing a bit of poetry. So I thought maybe it would be nice if I read this poem. Maybe we could have a poetry corner every week. Poetry, well, we certainly will today. Um, I'll read it. It's Bacall. Oh, it's, no, it's not Bacall. <laughs> so I just made a word up. It's Bacall. It's <laughs> uh, a very grand introduction. There you go. Um, it's called You, Andrew Marvel, and it's by a poet called Archibald MacLeish. Um, and it's just amazing because this poem really influenced Mark Strand when he was a teenager, before he even started writing poetry, and he didn't know why he liked this poem so much. But then he, you know, as he was the poet laureate, he broke it into pieces and he was able to, you know, critique it and understand why he loved it. But I never did that. I read this as well before I'd really started writing poetry and I loved it too. So I'm going to read it now. Here we go. And here, face down beneath the sun, and here upon earth's noonward height, to feel the always coming on, the always rising of the night. 
to feel creep up the curving east, the earthy chill of dusk and slow upon those underlands the vast and ever-climbing shadow grow. And strange at Ekbatan the trees take leaf by leaf the evening strange, the flooding dark about their knees, the mountains over Persia change. And now at Kermanshah the gate, dark empty and the withered grass, and through the twilight now the late few travellers in the westward pass. And Baghdad darken and the bridge, across the silent river gone, and through Arabia the edge of evening widen and steal on, and deepen on Palmyra Street, the wheel rut in the ruined stone, and Lebanon fade out and creaked high through the clouds and overblown, and over Sicily the air, still flashing with the landward gulls, and loom and slowly disappear, the sails above the shadowy hulls, and Spain go under, and the shore of Africa, the gilded sand of evening vanish, and no more, the low pale light across that land, nor now the long light on the sea, and here, face downward in the sun, to feel how swift, how secretly, the shadow of the night comes on. Wow. Yeah. Now that is a big poem, isn't it? It is. So you just feel like it's a really big poem. You can contact us on Twitter at Ian Broom, I-A-I-M-B-I-W-O-M-E. <laughs> you just want me to say where I am on Twitter now? <laughs> um, yeah, that was great. I enjoyed that. That was, uh, it was nice. Yeah. And how did it influence you? Um, it influenced me because... First of all, it was at the, it's in this book called The Making of a Poem, which I feel is like how I start, first got into poetry. And when you read that as the first thing, first of all, I've been to a few of those places and you you can feel that he's mentioned these places because they're ancient civilizations and they have been important and they've crumbled. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, night and darkness is, is moving as civilization has moved around the planet and all this kind of stuff. And I just... It's like Mark Strand said here, this was a poem that he really wished he'd written. And at the end of his of his career, he said he didn't wish he'd written this poem anymore, but he would like to still he'd still like to write something like it because you feel that you will always remember this poem after you've heard it. And that's how it's affected me, because I've always remembered it. And when I heard that Mark Strand had died, I thought of that poem. Well, that's a good way of putting it. I think that's how what has all we can ever wish for as writers is that people remember what we've written. And that we had an effect on people to that point where they say that, that you know, maybe they wouldn't say that, no, forget it. Where well, you know that you've had an impact or changed someone's uh, way of thinking or just, you know, left an impression. That's the whole point. Absolutely. And it's. I think it's harder with poetry these days when there's less of a tendency to rhyme or to use, you know, stricter forms with your poetry. Because I think a poem like this that has rhyme in a really tight form, it does stay in your mind and a lot of the poems that I talked about earlier that have been recited in films are the same kind of poem. They have, they have something which will stay with you in, in the way that they sound. So that's something, another thing to consider. Anyway, I highly recommend you going out, running out, like run out right now and buy this book, The Making of a Poem, and also to have a little look at Mark Strand's uh, poetry and see what you think, see if you can see this influence in his work. 
Okay, we have a minimal amount of time left, a very short amount of time. We haven't done the listener's question, but this, uh, and I don't have an answer for the question really that we have. Uh, but if you were to play the xylophone, do your song, and oh, then I forgot you, about the song. You have another, you have another book to recommend, don't you? Okay. Well, I'm not sure I do, but I have another book to talk about. Yes, listener's question. Gonna tell you, you do the question while I get my book. Okay. Uh, so um, Matthew Pennell. Um, on Twitter, at Matthew Pennell, two N's, two L's, two T's in Matthew, says, any tips for effectively including metaphor and simile in your writing, or how to train your brain to work that way? And um, Donna says she has a book that she's going to talk about. She's running for it now. I don't, I, <laughs> oh, she's back. There you are. Oh, I've been here all along. Okay. When I said find it, I meant, like, move my arm, but carry on. Okay. I... Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have an answer. I don't know if I use that much metaphor or simile in my work thinking about it. I think I'm my kind of straightforward uh, prose. I don't often do. And whenever I do, I'm quite deliberate about it. I kind of do it for a reason in, in, in the sense that it sticks out because I've done it. Because I don't have a kind of that kind of lyrical feel to a lot of my work it does have rhythm which I think is similar but different um, so there's lots of I hope there's lots of rhythm in my writing but I don't use a lot of metaphors, I don't use a lot of similes, I know in my, I'm trying to think of any, I, I think I said that the uh, there were cars were you know, cars in the car park like cars in spaces like dogs tight to lampposts or something like that and it's a bit of a weird simile isn't it my, my similes always tend to be slightly obscure because i think i i think that's the best kind of similes are ones that you know love like a rose oh you know rubbish you know the real really good similes and metaphors are the ones that just kind of you're not expecting they just where you flip an idea and and kind of and well as we say make someone think and leave an impression it's, the, it's that kind of coming mm. from out of nowhere it's like illustrating a point in a, with a slightly different twist on it you know, there has to be a reason to use a metaphor or, or a simile in my opinion don't just if, if don't do it just because you think you need to stick one in because you're writing a book or a poem you know make sure that if you're doing it is for a reason yeah absolutely and i think that you say you haven't used many similes in your book but you've used metaphor more maybe less consciously but the metaphors have been there like you were talking about the dog and the way that you'd use the dog to represent I can't remember what it was you said now but I, I think metaphor is, is much easier to get in because it's not so obvious yes that's true actually and there's as I said before <laughs> yeah, yeah you're right absolutely there's loads of metaphor in the book but that is mm. easier especially when yeah. you're writing prose it's much easier so I Gordon the main character bakes lots of cakes and for example the last cake he makes without wanting to you know, spoiler alerts, as they say, uh, is an angel cake, um, and uh, yeah, there are various other kind of metaphors, but they're, they're they're not really they're not really like you know in in your face cliche kind of thing. They're kind of just sort of woven into the prose rather than oh look, this one's a metaphor. Mm. Yes, um, a book that really impacted on me when I read it back in my late teens was The God of Small Things. Uh, it's really strange, but. All I remember from it is one simile where they're driving in a car very fast and um, someone looks out of the window and remarks that the birds on the telegraph wires, they were going past like uncollected luggage on a conveyor belt in the, like as if they were, you know, you, you could, they were just going to be there forever and, and left. I, w I was really affected by it, obviously, because it's the only thing I can remember out of the entire book. Isn't that weird? 
Yeah, but that's again, that's that's. I think as a writer, if you can get people to remember one thing, then you've done all right. People read a lot exactly. of stuff. So this is the what I would like to say about um, effectively using metaphor and similes is that imagery is such a vital part, especially in poetry. I mean, obviously, poems are loaded with simile and metaphor, but you have to be so careful about consciously trying to use simile and metaphor because that is when it goes wrong when you are, tr- like you say, when you're trying to insert them into something or you would, you really want to use one. I think just letting it come naturally is the most important thing. And you will find that, that there's loads of different ways to say it, but you know, you have to, you always have to be looking to what, for a way to say something that's never been said before. And that's really, really important. What's the, so, what was your book recommendation? My book recommendation is I've I got a book given to me many years ago called Eyes Like Butterflies and it's a treasury of similes and metaphors. Um and it's quite interesting for inspiration because it just it has really uh famous um examples of simile and metaphor um and some more unusual ones um such as she looked like a house whose lawn was landscaped and whose kitchen was on fire all this kind of stuff. I mean there's there's as I said famous ones then it gives you examples of, of similes that you can use in, in for different subjects like dreams, dust, ears. I'm just going through the alphabet here. And it's not that you're going to use them, but it's it's just for inspiration because, you know, you, you look for inspiration in many different places. And why not see the way that simile and metaphor have been used effectively in the past? Absolutely. And we're going to put all of these all of these books and these things we've talked about in the show notes, which you'll be able to find at... 5by5.tv slash WFYL slash 137. And there you'll find, uh, like I say, all the links to the things that we've mentioned. And um, I think we're done. We are. It was great. It was enjoyable. Thank you. And we will see or hear each other and, <laughs> and speak to you all next week. Indeed. <laughs>